0: Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos, and we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back into here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Game Source, Inside Sports, Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate you listening and watching to all of our great shows wherever you are around the world. And if you can, please give us that five star review wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, if you could like, share, subscribe follow or do whatever it is that you can to support us right here at the pop culture cosmos game source inside sports fantasy football the lakers fast break vampires and vitae wizards and wine with wild beyond a witch light and everything that we do in the world of tabletop rpg or role-playing as it were mm. right here at the pop culture cosmos Go ahead and check us out today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, where you get the latest news and trends in pop culture. And there's been a lot to talk about today. We'll get into that here in a sec. Plus, also, as well, our main site, Pop Culture Cosmos, start WordPress.com, where you'll see a collection of all of our awesome shows. And of course, don't forget all the things that we do here at Pop Culture Cosmos. Go ahead and support us any way you can, and if you do, it's sincerely appreciated. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos this time around without my good friend. She is the magistrate of all that is role-playing here at Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to go ahead and check out what she's doing today at Vampires and Vitae, plus also as well, Wizards and Wine. That's available right now wherever you get your podcasts. And on YouTube, check out the entire library after our show, of course. Mm-hmm. Please go ahead and do that. She is a fantastic role-playing knowledgeable type person and she even got a guest for us that even knows more about role-playing It's my good friend indeed it is Melinda Barkhouse Ross and Melinda had a great interview lined up which we're going to play a little bit later on with Alex Scheidler of the Desert of Shadows Las Vegas ARP group how's it going today
1: it's going very well how are you
0: Good, good, good. And on top of that, since I went to the Mint Collective major sports card show this past weekend at the MGM Grand Garden and Casino Convention Center here on the Las Vegas Strip, I want to get a chance to talk to a sports card expert, Rob Dolby, here later in the show and ask about his thoughts on the sports card scene and my observations on it as well. So a lot of good stuff coming up, a lot of good conversation But I tell you what, Melinda, guess what dropped? All this great info that dropped last night when it concerned Star Wars. Did you get a chance to check it out?
1: I've checked out some of it, but it was a lot. So I have not gotten all the way through the pile yet.
0: Okay, okay. Well it was (laughs) Star. It was a lot. And it was Star Wars Celebration 2023, which is taking place across the pond such a great great time everybody's having seemingly at star wars celebration right now and i want to ask you this first off when it comes to star wars celebration you're really going to have a awesome time if you go to it but you you're there for the news and it's funny because you're there they announce the news and then the rest of the show happens and it's almost like okay we have all that great stuff up front and then it's just like afterglow for the rest of the time absolutely
1: yeah, that's definitely how it feels. And, you know, even not being able to be there in person, you know, you, you still kind of get that feeling. In um, London
0: this time around.
1: Yeah, I mean, there might be an element of FOMO in there, you know, fear of missing out on all the good stuff. But like you said, you know, people are really good about pushing information out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, when we sit over here and just read the news, it's like, man, to have been in that room for that announcement.
0: Absolutely, and the biggest announcements were. Here we go. And this, do you want to go ahead and hit the heavy stuff first, or do you want to go ahead and with some of the lighter stuff that's really cool as well, like Ahsoka, like talking about Star Wars acolyte, all that stuff that's coming up on the in the not too distant future for Disney Plus, or do you want to get to the meat, the bone?
1: type deal for
0: what was announced with all the new movies coming up
1: it's a tough question maybe can we go back and forth between like light heavy light heavy can we mix it up that way
0: do my best all
1: right all right
0: so we'll go with the light first and i think the first thing is it is star wars ahsoka the first trailer was shown off and it was uh, sent out to the rest of the world it is available now i actually can give you the link right there if you're at pop culture cosmos on facebook you can go ahead and click on the link and it's right there for you it did showcase the Ahsoka character and a reunion of sorts for everyone that loves Star Wars Rebels. This is going to be the live action series Star Wars style for you. This is Dave Filoni. This is his dream of Star Wars Rebels coming to life. There's more Dave Filoni coming up in the not too distant future. But obviously his work with Star Wars The Mandalorian with him and John Favreau. Those two together have built a juggernaut with the Mandalorian and they are basically able to cash every single check that Disney wants to write on it because while Disney may be cutting back in other areas of the Star Wars universe or even the Marvel universe or even the Disney universe in total, they're not stopping now with anything related to Dave Filoni.
1: Yeah, it definitely seems like they've gone all in for sure.
0: Absolutely. Because Ahsoka it had everything that you wanted. All the live action versions of the characters that you've come to know and love in the star Wars rebels universe. They are now seemingly in that trailer plus grand Admiral Thrawn. Although you, know, you don't get to see his blue face. Not yet. They kind of they are I think they're saving that for the end of Mandalorian this season. I think they're going to probably go ahead and do that before they go ahead and showcase that in the Ahsoka series. But Yes, you do get to see a lot of action. Ahsoka basically trying to do what she can as far as one of the last few remaining Jedi that's out there. So great to see and well-deserved series. Again, much beloved in the Star Wars Rebels universe. Dave Filoni's live action version of Star Wars Rebels coming to life with Ahsoka. So that's probably one of the, the main things out of the television side. There was also... For the heavy side was the big announcement of not one, not two, but three movies coming up in the Star Wars Cinematic Universe that are coming up. So, see how MCU and all that? <laughs> Star Wars Cinematic Universe. And none of them was the reported Taika Watiti movie that we heard about last month in the news. None of them was based on the kevin feige or patty jenkins movies which have either been shelved or put to the wayside
1: Mm -hmm.
0: this was all about new projects that are underway one of which was for dave filoni in a new republic style movie new republic era movie but hmm, it seems very familiar to me. And there's a, quite a possibility that the Ahsoka Mandalorian universes will collide in that movie possibly be the ending that we want to see for The Mandalorian.
1: I mean, that would be the poetic way to do it, right? We've talked about that before as far yeah. as it
0: ultimately going to the big screen.
1: Yeah, I think that that's, that's the poetic way to do it. I think that's the correct way to do it. I think that... Uh, The Mandalorian deserves some big screen time. uh, And that's coming from somebody who is, I would consider myself a passive Star Wars fan. So um, I think that I can't can't be the only person who thinks that from the sidelines, you know,
0: I think that's a good move. I think that's a a reward for how big the Mandalorian has become, not only the Ahsoka series, but this series, this movie, granting him this movie to go ahead and do as he pleases. Although again, it's set in the new Republic era. But I have a feeling it's going to tie in somehow to The Mandalorian. He's going to have that type of ending at some point in time. Grogu will be involved. You know it somehow. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to see something of that nature coming from a Dave Filoni movie down there. Again, Taika Watiti, that's the thing that was reported all over the place last month as far as a movie set from him. And that would be the first movie coming out. So I don't know what the status of that movie is at this point in time, if it's been shelved or if it's actually already since it's been talked about, they didn't decide to mention it. But what they did mention was another movie in development, this time from the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny Director James Mangold, who you know from Logan, I think mm-hmm. it's probably the b- movie that you're most re- reminded of. But you're seeing him now in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The uh, man, oh, conveniently, the second trailer dropped today. Hmm, Lucasfilm timing all these things out. What do you know? But yes, that's uh, that dropped today. That second trailer looks really good, and I'm gonna have a lot of fun with that. So, James Mangold. The director of that movie, taking over for Steven Spielberg, he has now been given and granted a movie within the Star Wars universe as well, where this time, I think from him, it's going to be the Old Republic. If you're familiar with Star Wars, the Old Republic for the video games and books from the bygone era as far as the birth or the inception of the Jedi. So you tell me your thoughts on this. We're going back in time for this one. With a movie from James Mangold in the Star Wars universe.
1: Okay, how far back are we going though?
0: We're going back to the birth, the dawn of the Jedi, possibly. That's what's rumored to be happening with this one. That's old cool. Republic is Old Republic is it's old.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. I, I like that idea of, you know, following the the discovery of the the Jedi and how all of their stuff happened. I think that'll be an interesting movie. Definitely a topic that I'm interested in for sure.
0: There's a uh, mention of the upcoming television series outside of Ahsoka that are coming in 2024. First starting off with star Wars, the acolyte, which was called by its creators where frozen meets kill bill. So it's like one opposite to the other, but there's a 2024 release window that was revealed for it. So the second is, Star Wars Andor Season 2 yeah. is aiming for an August 2024 release date. And then last but certainly not least is Star Wars Skeleton Crew, which is going to feature Jude Law. And that one is actually underway as far as production. That one did not determine exactly when. 2024, the last major thing that was announced far as a movie one of the three movies that are definitely in the works already according to kathleen kennedy is a movie by charmeen Obeid chinois excellent director so i'm looking forward to seeing what she has to offer but and i say but this will focus on a movie about 15 years after the events of rise of skywalker now you're saying you want to go back into that universe And go into a world 15 years later with Rey as a Jedi Master, which again, beloved characters, uh, beloved character. A lot of lot of people love her character. Very divisive as far as where she came from, as far as the movies that are surrounded, because you either love those movies or you really hate those movies. Kind of like the prequels themselves earlier in the 90s. You know, you either love them or hate them. And we saw from The Last Skywalker here at the show, we weren't exactly in love with that movie. In fact, we use it as a punchline in many of our ads. Your thoughts on this in regards to bringing Ray back, Daisy Ridley, as the Ray character 15 years later, as this now master Jedi, maybe training a new generation of Jedis?
1: I hope that it's a bit of a redemption for both the actress and the character. I think that... um... Well, it wasn't you
0: know, due to her. It was just yeah, no. very, the yeah. whole story was written very poorly. You know, of course. script. Yeah, it was awful. You know, Finn, who I'd love to see. Well, okay, I'll, I'll go, ahead. go ahead.
1: Okay. So I just would, I would, I would love to see a movie that she's a lead in be universally applauded. And I don't know that that's possible, no matter who is at the front of a Star Wars movie. I think that a lot of people are going to look for reasons to be upset about whatever you try to do in the Star Wars universe.
0: Because like I said, The Force Awakens, $2 billion movie. Then it went to The Last Jedi and you know, either love or hate that movie, of course. That one went down to about a billion and a half and then The Rise of Skywalker to a billion. I was just hoping and I thought that that was the belief and that was many of the ideas that was pitched to Kathleen Kennedy from what reports say is that they were going to go into a future part of the star wars universe that was well beyond the skywalker saga which i was actually looking forward to
1: well you know this this movie set 15 years after uh, the events of the last movie it's entirely possible that it's going to use elements of that to set up the movies that they've just announced that seems to me like something that is possible something that could happen whether you're introduced to a character or a location or something that will tie it to the new movies coming
0: but it's still Rey from the Last Skywalker. Right, from that
1: but it could movie. be the new Jedi for the new movies that you're talking about, and, for the new branch that's going to grow and, out of it. And,
0: but come on, come on, come on, come on! Yeah, gotta
1: attach it all at some place, or it's disjointed uh, and it doesn't on. make any sense come Come on on. come on
0: it's gonna make a sense because you can say it's a long time ago that scroll at the beginning of every star wars movie sets up everything for you come on
1: come on come on they make you read the recap instead of showing it to you that's the difference What are your thoughts
0: out there on what went on and what was announced this weekend at Star Wars Celebration? Come
2: on! Come on!
0: Let us us know if you really like everything (laughs) set within the universe connected to each other. or Would you like to have seen even one project announced set in a little bit different time frame in a different galaxy far, far away? Let us know your thoughts, PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. But before we get to the Alex Scheidler and also as well, Rob Dolby conversations, my friend, before we head on out, Super Mario Brothers movie is kicking some serious booty. Yeah, it it seems to be. Yes. Yeah. From our Friday show, the expectations and the numbers I announced, they've been blowing those out of water. And it looks like it's going to get close to domestically alone, close to one hundred ninety, possibly one hundred ninety five, two hundred million dollars over the course of the next five days. And if you include Monday on top of it, you know, because a lot of kids are off Monday as well, like ours here in Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. you could seriously see by the time it getting through Monday domestically, not even talking about getting over 200, 225, and then you're talking about possibly even $400 million over a five to seven day period worldwide, which would be a massive success for Nintendo and Universal. And most likely... Most likely heading towards a billion dollars, which is way beyond what a lot of people expect.
1: You know, you go to cartoon movies sometimes, and Mm -hmm. there's always some kind of joke. There's always something that they put in there for the adults in the audience, right? Yes. Everything that I'm reading about the Super Mario Brothers is like, this is completely for kids.
0: Yeah, this is good for kids. kids. Yeah. critical reviews have been, uh, you know... The hardcore critics are out there, they're they're trashing it, but the critics that are seeing it for what it is as far as an entertainment, family fun, kid movie are yeah. enjoying what it does. And it does respect the Nintendo properties, which is something you and I talk about when you talk about video game adaptations, which is most important to us. Does it respect the IP that it's taking from? That to me is most important, and I think it's done that you know i'm happy for nintendo i've been accused of being a nintendo basher over the course of my years at game source and pop culture cosmos but i'm giving all the credits to do they put their money their time and their property in the right hands with illumination who've done huge numbers with the despicable me franchise and are reaping the benefits and rewards again on another well done video game adaptation.
1: Yeah, let's hear it. Let's keep those well-done video game adaptations coming because, man, when they are bad, it's insulting.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. This respects the property, and obviously it's getting great cinema scores, and people are talking about it. Good word of mouth, and obviously that's why it's generating a lot of money this weekend. And again, we're looking at a possible 400 or more worldwide take in its first five to seven days, which is absolutely great for a movie like this at a time like this. So, Kudos to Universal and Nintendo and Illumination for the Super Mario Brothers movie. If you've seen it and have thoughts, or if you're going to go ahead and check it out, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at yahoo.com.
3: You're listening to the Pop
0: Culture Cosmos. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on Wherever You Get Your Podcast. back at the show it's belinda barkhouse ross and me gerald glassford thanks so much for watching listening right here at the pop culture cosmos where we're heard around the world on radio stations worldwide right here pop culture cosmos thanks so much for watching and listening and of course check us out on social media and of course for the best and the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture go ahead and check us out today pop culture cosmos on facebook but i will tell you what we are now entering a world of mystery a world of magic, a world of fantasy that only the human imagination can come up with as, I, I guess the best way to put it was last year, or actually it was closing in on the end of 2021 when I saw the awesome series, which I spoke so highly of on the show, Hawkeye. That was on Disney Plus, And there were several scenes and a key component of the background of the actual show itself takes place in the world of live action role play, otherwise known as LARP by its acronym. And I'll tell you what, I've always wanted to know more about live action role play. And I know Melinda knows more about that, but she brought someone who even knows more than her when it comes to the (laughs) world of LARP. So Melinda, I take it over to you now. I send it to you. So, I ask you, Melinda, who do you have on today's show to tell us more about the world of LARP?
1: So, this is my good friend. I'm going to call him my good friend now. Uh, Alex, if you didn't know you were my good friend, congratulations. You've been promoted. Um, You went up on me. (laughs) Stop. She's Um, called me a lot worse. But Alex is the guy behind what happens with a lot of the things that go down with the Desert of Shadows LARP here in Las Vegas. It's a vampire, the Masquerade LARP, and I can't imagine having to be one of the storytellers or even the point storyteller that all of these storytellers branch off of. And Alex, if I'm not mistaken, that's like in a very small bite-sized piece. That's your role, right? With Desert of Shadows.
2: Yeah, that would be a bite-sized piece of what we do over there. There's the building of the story, getting the sets all together, kind of calling the rules, adjudicating disputes. Then there's the out-of-character drama, which is a whole other part of it. But it all adds together to be a kind of immersive adventure that lets people explore things that they really can't in real life.
1: True story. So what's what's the big difference um, aside from not just sitting around a table, but the difference between like a a tabletop RPG and taking it to uh, like a LARP level, what are the biggest, well, I guess this is kind of the big question of the day, really. It's, you know, what's the big difference? What's the different approach that a storyteller has to take? You know, what are the storyteller expectations from players? You know, the easy questions.
2: (laughs) I would say that, From that perspective, in terms of the storyteller part, one of the biggest differences is in a tabletop setting, you are the world. You're the bad guys. You're the small bad guys you meet on the road. You're the big bad guys in the castle. You're the merchant. You're everything. for six people. And in LARP, what you are is you are setting the sandbox up for players to explore stories with each other. So, for example, at a table, you might have a uh, a couple of characters. You have a party that's working together towards a goal. In a LARP, you can have two parties that are actually the antagonists for each other. And rather than the storyteller, it's those players, which mixes it up dramatically. You know, it's not worrying about what Alex thinks of as a threat. It's what this half dozen other people think of or could think of as a threat to your goals.
1: What do you think the biggest challenge is for somebody who is walking into a LARP game for the very first time? Like, they have their character, they've got their costume all set, uh, and uh, they just, uh, they roll up. What happens?
2: The biggest challenge any new player will have is feeling silly. Sure. Absolutely, to the case. It's just like improv or theater or anything else. You have to separate yourself out from the kind of real world considerations about play. Cause you're playing, you're playing a game. Like, you know, so a lot of that involves costuming, getting out of your shell and being able to talk to strangers is like a big part of it. The good news is, is that if you're able to do that, it translates to real world skills. You know, being able to kind of like get outside of yourself, go with the flow, you know, in improv, they say uh, yes and mm-hmm. no right? Like, these are real-life skills you can build just by playing.
1: Because you do such a good job of it. But, like, how do you deliver the the story, not week after week, because we do bi-weekly, first and third, but, um, you know, session after session? Because you have sometimes as many as 100 people who all have these incredibly high expectations because you've raised the bar and set the standard so high for yourself.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you very um,
1: much. <laughs> seriously. How do you deal with that? Because that's a lot for somebody who is running a a game or or anything to deal with. But then when you take it out from the table and the six people that you were talking about, and now you have, you know, a hundred people show up to a a LARP event and, you know, the expectations are high. Everybody has different questions, different concerns. How do you manage that? My God, I can't, I can't, it's giving me heart palpitations and I'm sweating a bit.
2: Uh, well, uh, one of the most important pieces is I have a good staff. So right. I depend on other people who are very talented. Um, my friend Neil uh, in the last Chronicle, my friend Matt um, and John. And we kind of like dig into plot concepts, game it out, kind of look at how it interplays with the group as a whole. And then what we like to do is we like to to create parts of the story for each Group of people, Mm -hmm. smaller groups, and weave them into that and then weave the stories together so that when your group encounters another group, you have different pieces of a puzzle and together it's kind of a revelation. And one of the coolest things about the world of darkness, this is actually a very unique part of an RPG, is the heart of the game is pathos. You know, like it's called the world of darkness for God's sake, right? Yeah, right,
1: yeah. Pathos
2: is a huge part of it, which means catharsis is another big part of it. And that's what I think people really enjoy at the end of the game.
0: How do you plan it out so that everybody can get a fair opportunity to go ahead and and have an experience something magical
2: each and every time out with your LARP? It does take a lot of kind of like observation, I think. So you see who is invested in the plot. And you kind of see who shares the plot because the other part of it is when you give people some plot things, sometimes they like to hide them. They like to keep them as their own Mm -hmm. secrets that they can wield against each other, which is part of it. That's fine too. But you want to also make sure enough little particles are spread, little hooks over the entire game. And you do that with people who are engaging. You also do it with people who are new, which is a, a great way to do it. And then once people realize these plot hooks are being dropped, they interact with those players. So you get a new person into the game. At the same time, you're spreading your story for maximum effect. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does.
1: Have you ever had a player... Um, I I don't know how to put this, but have you ever had a player outplay you during the game? Like uh, a player who just did something that was completely unexpected, totally out of left field. And like, has there ever been a situation where you like were scrambling for an answer? Yeah.
2: Abs all the time happens all the time. My secret is I have a good poker face and I'm pretty good at improv. So I just roll with it. Yeah. And then they think, oh, he saw that coming, but I'm just lying. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's an utter shock we had a, actually an interesting character deal this person had to do some act and the character she was playing was an evil character so i kind of expected her to do the normal bad guy thing but what she did was uh she went and found a family and basically reenacted the frankenstein story i don't know if you remember he he moves in, hides in the barn of a family and brings yeah. food and stuff. Mm-hmm. She does this for this family of, of uh, this desperate family and hides and watches them. And she, it was such a cool little story she made. I was like, yep, you you got it. You've got the thing that the thing she was trying to get through that. You're listening
0: to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Desert of Shadows, Las Vegas LARP group, right here for you at the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is Melinda Barkhouse Ross and me, Gerald Glassford. Thanks so much for watching, listening, Alex. You've been very explanatory so far, as far as telling everybody about the world of LARP. Melinda, you know, I know you have experienced firsthand some of this LARP action, especially within the world of Vampire the Masquerade. So, what are your observations and experiences so far working with Alex on these? Great LARP campaigns.
1: Well, uh, I'm still very, I'm still, I'm still so new. I, I squeak when I walk, when I walk into LARP, I'm, I'm very new. And I came in kind of at the tail end of the last Chronicle, like everything was already kind of in play. The the coteries were already set. People already kind of knew what they were getting into. And there was, uh, you know, some of the Scooby-Doo stuff. We could find clues and solve mysteries and, and things were already kind of unfolding. I walked in and I was playing a Ventrue and it turned out that there wasn't a Ventrue Primogen. So I ended up in a meeting with the prince the very first time I walked in the door. So <laughs> that was a, a pretty eye-opening experience. But uh, it was a lot of fun. And I've met a lot of truly wonderful people. People through it. And yeah, I'm excited to join the Chronicle from the very beginning. I have plans for my character. I don't know if what I have planned is going to work. I also don't know if she's going to make it past month three, but we'll see what happens. But well, one of the things that I really loved that Alex does is how active. Alex, you are with everybody who joins when you join the Facebook group for Desert of Shadows, you get the initial welcome our newest members and all of that kind of stuff. But Alex is always so easy to reach out to. He's always game for questions. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, what kind of question it is or, or what it's based on. He's he's always ready to, to talk about it. And yeah, it's it's truly a credit, I think, to Alex and, and his staff, the level of fun and the level of, you know, involvement that I think everybody feels when they walk into specifically the Desert of Shadows LARP. Now, I can't speak to, you know, other Vampire the Masquerade LARPs that exist, but I know that this one here in Vegas, I think, is is really something special. So I think, Alex, my, my question out of that is, I know that people who LARP are kind of known to be pretty big nerds. But then when you, for some reason, and I don't know why it is, but when you put Vampire the Masquerade LARP on top of that, it kind of takes the nerd factor to a higher level. Why on earth does it have this reputation, do you think?
2: Well, first, let me say that I'm adding Melinda to my will based on that <laughs> great summary of uh, how I run the game. I, I think that, well, let me say as the eldest nerd, which is how you become the storyteller. You, you just serve as the eldest Right. one of the nerds. I would say that vampire is a unique aesthetic. First of all, it's like modern day. So you don't have to wear armor or um, an elaborate wizard costume, uh, which kind of like makes it much more street wearable you were asking how how it got the reputation of being less nerdy or more nerdy
1: and more nerdy it just it because of everything that i that i see because i i was giving like the medieval larp a a, a kind of i was flirting with the idea when i was back still back in halifax because they have a very active scene there. Then, when I found out about Vampire the Masquerade LARP, I was like, well, that sounds really fun. And then you Google it, and people are like, stay away from Vampire the Masquerade LARP. It is bizarre. But I really didn't experience that when I was there. So either I am bizarre, or a Vampire the Masquerade LARP just has a funny reputation. Well, for some we,
2: I, I will say that we've kind of engaged in a very heavy policing of some of the weirder stuff. Sure. And now there is some weird stuff. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There are some times where player conflicts spill out from the game into the real world, where you are mad at someone for an outcome that happened in game. Yeah, That's just bad sportsmanship. And that that kind of does happen. I think in the 90s, when the game was super popular, there was a lot of extreme things that kind of went along with that. Mm. And I also think, as I said earlier about the kind of street playability of it, the fact that it plays in a city. That's another part of why it gets a kind of nerdy reputation. Medieval LARPs you can take to a rural area, so you're not really seeing people do that stuff. But when you play a game in a park, that gets a little stranger. We play in a game store, hidden away from the masses, (laughs) like a decent collection of a 100-so nerds. Right. (laughs) So let me ask you this. Any last
0: things you want to go ahead and plug any last things you want people to know if they're
2: in the las vegas area or even if they're not about your awesome larp group i would of course love anybody who wants to come play vampire to and is in the area of las vegas to swing on by play desert of shadows our vampire game but if you're not nearby you should check out any larp group around you give it a shot see what you think don't let a perception or a meme online determine Mm -hmm. how you can experience fun. I mean, you're only shutting yourself off from an opportunity. So give it a shot.
1: How does one start their own LARP?
2: Well, you have to be insane
1: first. (laughs) That's part of it. Right.
2: Uh, But once you have that under your belt, uh, it's really about putting it out there, getting everything set up, finding a location, and then marketing the game. So you have to get all the the ducks in a row for playing first. And uh, don't be afraid to start a game with 10 people. You know, you build from something like 10 or 20 people. Right. And I think it's really about the journey, not necessarily starting at your destination.
1: Fantastic. If anybody wanted to reach out to you for some advice or anything like that, are you open to that?
2: My DMs are open.
1: Fantastic.
0: How can they get a hold of you?
2: You can either email me at narratorsulla, S-U-L-L-A, at gmail.com. Or if you join the Desert of Shadows Facebook group, I am there. You can message me there. Awesome, indeed. It is Alex
0: Schuyler of the Desert of Shadows Las Vegas LARP group. Alex, I cannot thank you enough for being part of today's show. You're always welcome back. The red carpet, Melinda and I, have actually rolled out for you. So you're welcome back. Very nice. Go ahead and tell us about more adventures in LARP Group. Any last thoughts before we head on out?
2: Well, I actually like to talk to you about how amazing uh, your guys' show has been. I've had a great time being on here. Your questions are insightful and interesting. And I think that Melinda in particular has had some wonderful insights on my (laughs) storytelling ability. And I appreciate her bringing those to the world.
0: Absolutely. She's tremendous for us here. And I'm glad she's tremendous for your group as well. (laughs)
1: guys are making me all sweaty. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> I'll
0: tell you what, thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, And we're back with the show. It's Gerald Glassford right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Thanks so much for watching and listening. We truly appreciate it. The sports card scene and collectible scene is still going strong, even after a huge, huge rise during the pandemic. It is still a marketplace out there that everybody seems to like and enjoy. And I'll tell you what, I just had the experience last weekend of going to the MGM Grand Garden and Casino into their convention center here in Las Vegas, right on the Strip. I got a chance to see one of the premier high-end collectible and sports card spectaculars called the Mint Collective. Just had a chance to go there. Great time. Sponsored by eBay. Had a great time seeing all the major booths, including eBay, Panini, PSA, Tops, All the big boys were there. And even some of the major independent card dealers were there it was just so fascinating because you got to see all the high-end cards were there from all the different sports got to see high-end pokemon cards as well well that just got me thinking how can i go ahead and talk about what's going on in the sports card scene because i'm not the expert but i wanted to bring someone back who is Good man indeed. You got to go ahead and check him out at Game Time Sports Collectibles. It is Rob Dolby live from his store. Yeah. Rob, great to have you here. So I love the ambiance, people buying and selling and trading sports cards. How you been, my man?
3: Good man. How have you been?
0: I've been okay. Been okay. Uh, you know, I got a real education going through there. It was so. You probably would have found it. You know, right at home at the Mint Collective. Go there. It it wasn't the largest sports card show I've ever been to. And actually, when I did sell cards a long time ago, it, you know there were larger space wise. But this was all in the in the convention center MGM Grand Ballroom. It was about seventy, maybe eighty different vendors that were there. But a very high end, tens of thousands of dollars of cards, single cards, were there. You know some of the most valuable and premier sports cards both modern and also vintage every conceivable rookie or valuable sports card for every modern or vintage athlete was there it was just such a fascinating thing plus also psa was there grading cards right on the spot get this rob every other booth literally had their phone right there doing live breaks because you got to know the lingo when you go there you got to go know breaks pulls slabs you got to know the lingo when you go into these places like that every other booth had a a live break oh it's a Derek Jeter rookie card wow you know that goes something like that or you know or if it's pokemon it's a charizard you know something like that but it was just so funny to see how everything was taking place but the value of sports cards is there. Please give me the update since you live and breathe and deal with this on a daily basis. What's your thoughts on the sports card scene? And also the collectible card scene truly is at this
3: time. So actually, if we go back, let's say, I think I was on here about six months ago or so with you. Yeah. uh, Maybe a little bit longer than that. If we go back to about October, uh, early November of, of this past year, 2022, I have to admit, as somebody who makes their living doing this, I was getting a little nervous. I was getting a little scared. It was kind of, how do we, how is tops fanatics? How, how are they going to play into this, you know, fanatics buying them? How, yes. how well are they going to, uh, interact with me? How are they going to accept me on? Because it used to be very difficult to get direct with tops. And I assumed with fanatics moving into it, it would be even more difficult, but I was scared. You know, we were seeing a lack of sales, uh, both hobby boxes and singles in the shop. that sort of thing. But times have changed. And, you know, you move forward, you know, those five, six months and you see that Fanatics has done a, a really good job. There were, there were some shaky incidents in the beginning, but they've done a really good job of, of letting us get on board. And I have since become direct with Tops. Uh, that has ran very smoothly. And the card market has been I just went through actually Christmas wasn't great. But right after Christmas, I just went through probably a couple of best months that I'd had most consistent months I'd had selling sports cards. People are still buying, people are still selling. And I put on a show on the South side of Columbus and that show just this last time in uh, March, it had one of the biggest turnouts I'd ever seen. And then the other good thing about that is it was, you know, I'm, I'm doing it every month. I saw 25 to 30% new people, new people that didn't know about the show. This was without, you know, any additional marketing effort on our part. And same thing with the shop, more people coming in, didn't know you were here, that sort of thing without any additional marketing effort. So the hobby is you know, alive and well. I know well, it that's sounds cliche, but it's, but it's alive and well. When you walked
0: into the MGM Grand Ballroom, the first thing you see is the top booth. And now it wasn't a huge booth per se, but it was modern, very clean cut looking. First side is coming at you with the top side, but on the flip side, is like you said fanatics Uh, and they did have uh, you know fanatics i think knows in this space it needs to still promote the tops brand first and not just say oh yeah we're going to go ahead and take over everything and things of that nature
3: i think they played it very smart yeah oh i i absolutely do and um one of the other things you know as they've moved into uh operating tops and kind of controlling it again, there was a couple hiccups. There was a hiccup with Topps Chrome. Uh, Topps Chrome was a huge release and they actually missed in the packaging getting the Julio Rodriguez short print. That caused that product to kind of tank. Uh, It was just a packaging error, but so many of us lost money on that product. But then they, they did, uh, they tried to make it up by doing uh, special packs but then they did this program called the MVP buyback program, where the basic Aaron Judge or Paul Goldschmidt card you could take to your local hobby shop for twenty bucks for a basic card that you know probably books at a dollar, a dollar fifty, and that was a very good program. I mean, we did hundreds and hundreds of extra dollars, if not thousands, because people would bring those cards in and then exchange it for you know merchandise we had in the shop. So they did a really good job there. But one of the other things that's very interesting is if if you're familiar with the tcgi side of things like pokemon and stuff they'll kind of release products in waves they'll let it kind of dry up and kind of go back and release it that's not heard of really in the sports card industry but now top seems to have been doing that so they'll release a wave they'll let it dry up and then maybe two or three months later it's a product you can reorder they're really trying to strike that good balance there of supply and demand i think so they're
0: taking lessons from outside the traditional sports cards industry. I like that, thinking outside, yes. the, pardon the pun, you're thinking outside the box.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, YouTube's been around for a ton of time and social media space has now been out for you know well over a decade, but really in the past couple of years, we've seen a huge increase in the number of sports card entities, sports card pools, Collectible pools, per se, as far as just cards pulling breaks of, of new packs, new boxes, new sets on camera, on live, has that really grown the industry as well? Has that made that more approachable for a regular audience? Because it seems to be something that so many, and as as I saw right there on the show floor, so many are doing this today.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I I do, I do believe that social media in general, but of course, breaks. Have uh, been playing a major impact in the increase of the hobby uh, in its growth, especially among young people. And is this allocation business really got out of control? Some people would say it fueled it, which it, it may have helped fuel it. But at the same time, you know, when a price of a box uh, began to hit three and four and $500 for your average uh, hobby box of, say, basketball or football product, breaking allowed that individual to say, I just collect the Cincinnati Reds, for instance. So I'm going to go into this break and I'm going to put down $20 and I'm going to get all the Cincinnati Reds, which made you have the ability to get a piece of a, of a very large expensive pie, uh, basically, uh, made it affordable for you. So um, I do believe that it has played a major role in kind of keeping the industry going. And uh, that's the thing. Innovation, new, new styles of doing things is, is kind of keeping it interesting.
0: You said you had some notes uh, as far as what the industry is doing to attract not only new customers, but retain its base. Because, again, you know, uh, individuals that are collecting now this hobby, if they don't see the market trending the way they wanted to, they can obviously allocate their funds into something else. So. What is the industry doing at this point in time, in your opinion, based off your notes?
3: Okay. Well, one of the things that they're really doing is, you know, with COVID, it went crazy. Prices went crazy. And, and again, with Tops and Fanatics, uh, you know, it was kind of a question of, well, am I only going to get two boxes of this? And, and you know, what's the allocation going to look like? Well, they're actually doing a really good job of just getting enough product out there. And I think they're trying to strike that balance where let's get enough product out there where there's plenty of product for collectors at a reasonable price, but not so limited that it's attempting for others to like try to flip products, to go into your Walmart, clear the shelves off or whatever, hold it for six weeks, and then, you know, try to make a, a really big profit on it. They're keeping enough product flowing that for those that are true collectors, set builders, uh, guys that just collect certain teams, they're able to get their hands on products again. And like basketball, for instance, we've seen it dramatically come down in price. Now, when we're talking, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about sealed products. I'm not speaking about single cards in general, but but being able to have your hands on sealed products again, your ability to kind of have access to your favorite sport and bust cards again is a very important part of this hobby. And, and again, it is it is coming down. It's getting more affordable. Baseball, for the most part, especially when that first couple of weeks when it comes out, Everything, just about everything, anyway. Ninety percent of things are at suggested retail prices. You're able to get one of your favorite boxes, let's say for a $100, 150 dollars again, which was unheard of during COVID. So I think they're doing, trying to do that thing where there are high-end products. They are targeting some people that maybe are into breaking the big, you know, hitting the big uh, card or whatever, or investing for the future. But the majority of their products, they're aiming right at collectors. They're aiming at kids again. A uh, big league baseball that just came out about a week and a half ago, it was nothing to go through a case of that because it was a $55 a box product. And kids just loved it. it was they, they made it look you know, appealing this year. Even the boxing, uh, the product packaging was nice. So it, we just uh, flew through that product. So I think they're doing things. Now, Panini's got some unanswered questions out there. We don't know how they're going to play into the Fanatics plan, if, if they're going to sell to Fanatics, what they're going to do. But they're about a year and a half from losing their license and their ability to produce licensed football and basketball cards.
0: And that's going to be a major thing, like you said, if they don't start playing, pardon the pun again, ball yeah. with yes. uh, <laughs> with the Fanatics, they could find themselves out on the street pretty quickly. I do want to ask though uh, you know again the sports card scene as i saw is still very much uh doing well thriving i mean the action that i saw on the showroom floor in regards to valuable cards is still there the values are still at a premium what about as far as on the end as far as i talked a little bit about pokemon but what about non-sports cards how are those moving for you i know i noticed star wars is a great thing that i see a lot at your store and your pictures from, from your location. But also when I was out there at also the mint collective star Wars, obviously of course, Pokemon magic, the gathering talking about their new cooperation with the Lord of the rings. People are talking about that and trying to get that one ring card, which is only one, which is supposed to be super valuable, which will probably be sold at an auction down the road for millions of dollars, I'm assuming, but how is the non-traditional sports card scene, how is that doing at this point in time?
3: As far as non-sports go, I personally don't have a large, you know, stake in that. Except, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. Pokemon especially. We, we do move a lot of Pokemon. But yeah, like you mentioned, Star Wars, for instance. Tops again, released a, a very decent product, decent checklist. You know, that's really what it comes down to a lot of times with the autograph checklist for these non-sports, you know, is Harrison Ford. You know, for instance, is in that Star Wars product, at least as a possibility, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that uh, there was a Star Wars signature series it was just a one hit, one autograph per box kind of thing that just came out. Uh, and again, we move through that very nicely, I think, is we're able to get our hands on more non-sports. We'll be able to do that. I know one of my my buddies in my shop, uh, you know, even though I kind of own the business independently in our shop, it's a cooperation of, of three, three of us. We've been, you know, lifelong friends. My one buddy has taken an entire display case and uh, his name's Bill. And he's taken an entire display case and that entire display case is non-sports. We're talking like pop century leaf stuff, uh, all autographs of people, um, you know, from Yellowstone or even back in the day, Saved by the Bell, stuff like stuff like that. So he's really into that. And he's like, I'm not sure how well it's selling. You know, it's moving here and there, but I just love collecting it. So that's yeah. where he's kind of had his focus, too.
0: So that funny. Sort of I. I- I could see tops going to Harrison Ford and him just like grumbling throughout (laughs) signing that one card. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He probably
3: sold three in the entire product line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's probably uh, true.
0: I don't do it. They're signing this thing. I don't do autographs. I, I, I can't even stand Star Wars. You know, I get to see him just grumbling through the whole process because he has yeah. disdain for the Han Solo character, as we've seen and read in articles and interviews yes. over the course of time. But uh, getting back to the sports card scene, seems now that you've turned a corner with Fanatics, and they're looking forward to a better future with that company.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, like the, they make it very smooth. The relationship's been been uh, very easy to deal with. Very, very good relationship, and, and it's fair. You know, um, you're for me personally. I'm getting allocated a case of everything. I think that's pretty normal for those that are just coming on board, just to get that one case. And, and there's still other opportunities. you pay just a few bucks more and go to a distributor and maybe you get a few boxes there too. and that's that's been the case for me. They've kind of kept their hand out of the secondary market, which is probably good. you know they're the basic model of uh, you know we have a cost of producing this. We're going to mark it up you know five percent, ten percent, twenty percent, whatever it is, and that's the price. you know they're not going to the secondary market and going, well, we can probably get you know four hundred dollars a box out of this or whatever. They're yeah. just looking at the cost of producing the product and, and moving forward. Again, you know, there's concerns about Panini. Now, if you if you do this, the, the business model has changed. You go back two years ago, I could just sit here and, you know, our shop's small. You know, you, I have to move on uh, the website. I have to move, go out and do shows. Uh, I have to go do those things because we're seeing five to seven customers a day, except for maybe Saturdays. You know, that's, that's about what we're seeing. So I don't move enough product. Um, at only making, you know, 10 to 15 $20 is a good day on a box of cards to just sit back and, and allow it to happen here. But the, but that has to be the model now. It has to be move. It has to be a little bit of a turn and burn, staying in the, in the marketing season of that product. You know, it's time frame and uh, you have a few weeks there to move it. And there for a while during COVID, we were all able to just kind of sit back, let it sit on the shelf. And five weeks later, if it didn't sell, we raised it 40 bucks. But, you know, we're kind of out of that time frame. You know, I'm not making $40 and $50 a box. I'm making $15 a box. But I'm turning a lot more product. And that's just kind of the the way you have to to go about it. And I'm sure with singles, too, you know, it has to be that. You have to be out there. If if you're trying to make a living, you have to turn the product. But in general, I think a lot of this is really good news uh, for the customer, uh, for for the collector, for the people that are, you know, coming in. There's there's competition again, and uh, there's products available. So you do have choices.
0: One last thing I want to ask you is about, obviously, the, the one of the main reasons why the value on the specific cards varies is the grading process. And while PSA, when I went to the Min Collective, dominated the scene there were also other grading services and then there was also Beckett in the corner yes. as well. <laughs> yes. Beckett was literally in the corner. In the corner. Uh, yes. In the corner. It was a nice booth per se, but it was in the corner as opposed to PSA, which actually had the long lines of people going and trying to get their cards graded live on the spot. Now I ask you the, grading of cards specific cards are so important to the value of the cards obviously for the collectors high-end collectors and whatnot what has your process been or what has your experience has been with grading at this point because it seems like PSA is obviously at this point in time the most dominant
3: force in the grading card industry by far PSA is the most dominant now if you would go back say five to seven years, Beckett would have been right in the mix.
0: Uh, I was going to say that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that, but yeah. yeah, not anymore.
3: No, not really anymore. They've definitely went to second fiddle and maybe even a close second with uh, some of the other companies like SCG and, and things like that. So some of those companies came up. Now there are a lot of, I hate to say, it, but mom and pop grading companies. And, you know, we- They were there tough, as well. Yeah. And it's, it's very tough. You know, we have customers come in and they'll be like, hey, I got this graded by you know PNT or whatever. And we're like PNT, like we have no idea what that is. You you may as well just break it out of that encapsulated thing. We're not going yeah. to pay you any more than a raw card for that. And and then you're mentioning Beckett. And just, just about a week ago, Beckett made some big announcement of how they're going to change their grading. And it was very, very confusing. A 9.5 if if you got a 9.5 on the corners, but a 9.5 on the centering, but a 10 on. Uh, you know, the Surface Wear or whatever. It was going to go to a 10 now. It was very confusing. And they were in trying to basically get people to resubmit their cards because, well, now it would be a lot easier to get a Beckett 10 instead of a Beckett 9.5. But then what, what do you do with all those cards that are already out there on the market? It, and then Beckett, I've heard, started to back off that statement they made and about that plan to do that. So it does seem that PSA is, you know, back and open and ready for business. And it does seem like they're kind of set to kind of run away. And get a pretty huge lead on the others that are involved in grading.
0: I saw that firsthand, my friend. I tell you right there because you could see the line for PSA literally going out of the ballroom as far as Beckett. Well, let's just say it was a nice looking booth. But yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I get you,
0: uh, and I'll leave it at that. But Rob, it's been great chatting with you. I know you're busy in the store. Obviously, everybody should check out your website, gametimesportscollect.com. But please, when it comes to Game Time Sports Collectibles, anything anyone needs to know about how they can get a hold of what you got as far as your inventory, take a look at it, or you know, if they want to ask you more questions.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they can just stop by the website. It'll give you links to all the social media. You know, we have a GameTime Sports Collect is one of our facebook's but we also have game time collectibles which is actually the shop and we do a weekly facebook live there where we just kind of throw out hobby information it's every uh, wednesday and you can check that out but again you can just go to the website and you can find information about all that thanks so much rob for stopping by
0: right here at the pop
3: culture yes cosmos. thank you
0: you're listening to the pop culture cosmos well melinda appreciate so much You being part of today's show, Alex Scheidler was on today's show, also as well, Rob Dolby. Any last thoughts before we head on out?
1: Yeah, if you are in the Las Vegas area, and even if you just want to come in and see what the Desert of Shadows LARP is about, you can do that. You can show up as a guest and you get to do what we all do. You'll get a chance to to wander around and you'll get to catch players taking part in a scene and all of that kind of stuff. If you're curious about setting up your own LARP, reach out to Alex. Alex is truly a stand-up dude. I like him a lot. I always have time for Alex. And I think that once you dip your toe into the pool and then you're like, wait a minute, I can build my own character. I can do my costuming and then I can show up and just sort of kind of do what I want. It's pretty fun. There's something liberating and freeing in it. And if you're in the Las Vegas area and you're in at all intrigued, please check it out.
0: There you go. Go and check out Alex. And Melinda, you never know, she might be there as well today at Deserts of Shadows, Las Vegas LARP group. So from Melinda Barkhouse Ross, this is Cheryl Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping... You have yourself. Agree. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com